Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I'm a Dynasty Freak. That means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my team's 365 days a year. So to you, so let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 199. Week one, it's happened. It's finally arrived. And all of us Dynasty Freaks, we were treated to 16 football games where the points on the field and the fantasy points counted for the first time in months. Uh, it's a great, great time watching the games. It was a blast, especially all the nail-biters and overtime games in the early slate if you watch the games. I had a great time watching all the games in week one. And after following all the games, uh, week one games, um, here are some of my observations from a dynasty perspective. Observation number one, I'll say uh, welcome back. Uh, Welcome back to life, that is, Saquon Barkley and Michael Thomas. I've been predicting the Giants offense would improve drastically this year under new coach Brian Dayball. And I traded for Barkley in two leagues this offseason and could not be happier with those trades so far, although just one week. But Barkley had 194 yards on 24 touches. He accounted for nearly 50% of the Giants' offensive yards and touches. Uh, He's going to be this offense's focal point, mainly since there's uh, none of the none of the pass catchers on the team have emerged as really an alpha receiver. Barkley led the team in targets and receptions, which is just fantasy fantasy gold. Love that for Barkley. Barkley's dynasty value is going to rise significantly this year, as will Michael Thomas's. Uh, Thomas didn't play. As many snaps as Jarvis Landry or Chris Olave, but he still received eight targets, including two in the red zone, which he caught both of those for touchdowns. Once he's fully healthy, and they kind of remove the pitch count that he's on a little bit right now, he's going to be back to an every week starter in Dynasty rosters as well. So his Dynasty value is going to rebound too. Not to the degree that Barkley's will, since there's so many young receivers that have now passed him by as far as the Dynasty rankings. But even so, seeing him you know move from our benches the last two years into a Dynasty lineup as a reliable starter, it's going to be really fun. A much welcome surprise for the managers that actually held on to him uh, these last two seasons. So welcome back to Barkley and to Michael Thomas, two former studs that now become starters again. Next observation I'll call tandems and vultures. seems like many NFL teams plan to run with a running back by committee approach, and some are going to give one of their backs the goal line role. Uh, DeAndre Swift has argue, had arguably you know, the best game of his career, but it was Jamal Williams who was still on the field about one-third of the time and caught men got both of the goal line touches for touchdown runs. Then there's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They picked up where, off where they started last year, scoring 18 and 21 fantasy points, respectively. Hunt scored two touchdowns while Chubb turned out 141 yards, 6.4 yards per carry. Love a Chubb. And while healthy, uh, both of these guys should remain in starting lineups. It's crazy. Then there's Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. They were both expected to kind of be a committee in Green Bay with Dillon getting the goal line work and Jones being more involved in the passing game. However, this game was pretty crazy. Dillon actually received more targets in addition to the goal line work. He got both of those things, much to the frustration, I'm sure, of Jones' managers. I doubt that Dillon's going to you know, receive more of the passing work from than Jones from now on, uh, but he did this game. He was actually the most targeted and he had the most receptions of any player on the Packers this year, this week. Pretty crazy. But it looks like Jones doesn't have this, you know, passing role entirely to himself. Um, Though less productive, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, the the Bills, the Cowboys, 
and the Patriots also split their backfields pretty equally. Pretty frustrating. Dynasty managers, you know, really just need to grow to expect that their RB2 in their lineups is likely going to be a committee back. That's just probably the way it's going to go. And then they can aspire as best they can to have a bell cow back as their RB1 position. But RB2s, looks like it's going to be a lot of running back by committee. And even some vultures on the goal line. Third thing, uh, observation I'll say is I'll call it turn up the volume. Uh, speaking of RB1s, uh, coaches of two of the most versatile backs in the NFL need to turn up the volume on their starting running backs. Christian McCaffrey had the fewest touches of his career in the first half of a game. Amazing. He touched the ball just five times in the first half and then just nine times in the second half. If the stupid Panthers are limiting his touches in an attempt to keep him healthy this year, they are sabotaging their jobs and CMC's fantasy value. They better come to their senses and get CMC back to 20-25 touches a game or his dynasty value is going to quickly fall this season. The same can be said for Alvin Kamara. Uh, Kamara only touched the ball 12 times this week. Unreal. You know, Kamara's used to producing fantasy team, you know, four fantasy teams with lesser workload than most running backs, but he needs at least 16, if not 20 touches to produce throughout, you know, to produce like he has throughout his career. The Saints coaching staff also, they better snap out of it and get him more involved in the coming weeks. Just for comparison, Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon had 35 and 34 touches in their games. Crazy. 35 and 34 and that's more than CMC and, and uh, Kamara had not quite as much. They had combined 20, or no, yeah, they had more combined, 26. So unreal. Now it takes for granted that uh, Taylor and Mixon each played an overtime game, so they got extra touches in overtime, but still, I want those guys to be getting 35, 34 touches. Kamara needs to at least get up to 20, so does CMC. Uh, pretty frustrating. They need to turn up the volume. Next uh, observation, I'll call it putting it putting it to the test. Uh, this season, it looks like it's going to be the year to put the Achilles surgeries to the test. Uh, this week started terribly on that front with Cam Akers looking like a shell of himself on Thursday night. Apart from one good game, he's just not proven he's been able to come back after the surgery. And then this week, Marlon Mack was actually cut from the Texans after kind of being cut and making their practice squad got cut again. Uh, he's not on a team right now after his Achilles surgery. Then there's Dante Foreman, who had some pretty good moments last season uh, after returning you know, a few years from his Achilles surgery. But this week he split carries with Chuba Hubbard behind Christian McCaffrey. Um, so those guys didn't really do much. But on the other hand, James Robinson had a great game uh, after his you know, surgery, uh, scoring two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air. He even out-touched Travis Etienne in the first game back playing together. So they're both healthy on the same roster together ready to share the load in Jacksonville, it looks like. And the guy who returned to the field the fastest after Achilles' surgery was actually Sterling Shepard, and he had just two catches, but one was a 65-yard touchdown. Never, everyone recovers differently, for sure, but Dynasty managers are really going to have a lot more evidence after this year to prove you know, whether they should, quote, fish or cut bait when it comes to players that have Achilles' injuries, kind of putting it to the test. Uh, we get to see a lot this year. Good to have some of those guys come back. Next observation, I'll call it uh, no jersey, no problem. <laughs> or sorry, New Jersey, no problem. Uh, A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Jarvis Landry, uh, they each uh, are on new teams this year. We've got New Jerseys, but it was no problem for them. Uh, they had the craziest uh, target shares on their teams, and they told their dynasty managers they don't need to worry about them being on different teams. You know, it's always kind of a concern when a receiver, or really any player for that matter, switches teams. But Brown was awesome. He had 13 targets, 10 receptions, 155 yards. Fell short of the goal line twice, which is frustrating. 
or his day could have been even better. Uh, Hill had a pretty modest day for him, but still 12 targets, uh, eight catches and 94 yards. He did get one uh, handoff as well, one run for six yards, so 100 yards total. He also failed to reach the end zone, but he's going to be just fine in Miami, even with definitely a far inferior quarterback in the Landry. What a surprise. Uh, he led the team in targets. He's not going to do that, you know, I think, throughout the rest of the season once Michael C- Michael Thomas is off of his pitch count. But this week he did. Uh, had uh, nine targets, seven catches, 114 yards. Landry's on his third NFL team, and he's just not done uh, with each team. He just racks up the catches and provides that solid, solid fantasy floor that dynasty managers need. Uh, dynasty managers can confidently say about these guys, uh, New Jersey, it's no problem for them, for sure. Next day, uh, next observation I'll make is playing day one. Playing day one, many rookie uh, wide receivers ran with the first team offenses and received significant playing time in week one. That's always fun to see from our rookies. Uh, Drake London, Chris Olave, George Pickens, and Jahan Dotson were kind of every down starters and saw um, a lot of their managers actually started them in their dynasty lineups this very first week of the season. Then there's others like Traylon Burks, Romeo Dubs, Dobbs, rather, uh, Christian Watson, and Kyle Phillips, who also saw a lot of action and could move into starting lineups within fantasy uh, fantasy teams, particularly when the bye weeks start to hit. It's always exciting to see rookie players when they see the field early. As dynasty managers, we love that. In the rookie season, when they can move into our starting lineups in that first year is so great. I think that's going to happen a lot with this receiving class. I'm also pleased to say that two receivers that I drafted most in the rookie drafts this season had two of the best games this week. That would be Jahan Dotson. You've heard me talk about him. He was the highest scoring rookie receiver in week one, scoring two touchdowns in his debut. An awesome catch, particularly the second one, uh, doing what he does best. And then there's Kyle Phillips, my other most highest um, player that I got the most this year. He was the high, He had the highest target percentage per route run. That's 42% of any receiver that ran more than 20 routes this week. He had the highest target percentage per route run. Meaning when he went on when he ran out ran on routes, he was targeted 42% of the time. That was 10% more than any other player this week. Incredible. This class is looking great, especially uh, the two players that I targeted most. So I'm excited about that. Next uh, observation, I'll call it blame it on the rain. Uh, Trey Lance we're talking about. He looked pretty bad in his debut, but I'm just going to give him a pass, at least for this week, uh, given the downpour that there was in Chicago and the terrible field conditions. I've been apprehensive about the 49ers' transition to Trey Lance and what it will mean for the dynasty value of other players on the on the 49ers. Due to this concern, I actually sold two of my three shares of Debo Samuel this offseason. Um, it's only Lance's first week, but so far I'm glad that I've traded Debo. Now I wish I would have actually moved my two uh, Kittle shares too. Uh, this time, um, you know, it takes time to improve. You know, he's got that time. He deserves a break, you know, given the field conditions, but he needs to prove something pretty quick here or the 49ers pass catchers are really going to see their dynasty value dip alongside Lance's, which could dip as well. Just week one, we'll blame it on the rain, but uh, Lance needs to improve quickly to save his dynasty value and all the value of the dynasty pass catchers there for the 49ers. Next thing I'll mention is uh, way to go newbies. Uh, all the first-time head coaches won their games this week. Not all new uh, new coaches did, but all the first-time head coaches did. So Doug Peterson... Josh McDaniels, they lost their first games, as did Lovey Smith. He tied his first game. Uh, but they've all been head coaches before. But all the first-time head coaches, Brian Dayball, Mike McDaniel, Dennis Allen, Kevin O'Connell, and Matt Eberflus, all won on Sunday. 
Um, I do this podcast on just before the Monday night game, so I don't know whether Nathaniel Hackett is going to be make it six for six for the new first-time coaches, but I suspect that he will. Uh, there's not much to take away from this from you know dynasty perspective, but it's just nice to see when there's new faces, new ideas injected in the NFL. Four out of these, these uh, six first-time head coaches come from offensive backgrounds, which often help fantasy production of their teams. So congrats to these you know first-time coaches getting their first wins in dynasty leagues. Uh, when you think about it this way, you know, when you add a new manager to a league, someone that takes over an orphan team, uh, they can really add a lot of new life to that team as well. I know last year a first-year dynasty manager uh, took over an orphan, orphan team and actually won of the league in one of the leagues that I'm in. And this year, I picked up two orphan teams myself, and I smashed both of the teams that I played this week in my games. So it's really fun to take over a busted team and try to bring it back to life. Uh, new dynasty managers can change a team's future, just like these first-time head coaches did, um, minus Nathaniel Hackett. We'll see what happens with him uh, tonight, or in this case, you're hearing this the morning after, so you already know. Next observation, I'll call it the very worst part of fantasy. It really is, in my opinion, the worst part of playing fantasy football is injuries, it stinks when you've built like a strong roster and you see them all fall prey to injuries. It stinks to lose a week when players get injured early in a game. I hate that part of the game, uh, but it's a reality that we have to live with. Uh, Dak Prescott got injured his finger on Sunday night. He's going to miss six to eight weeks now, plunging the fantasy production of every Cowboy for the next two months. Elijah Mitchell couldn't even make it through the first game healthy. Pretty frustrating. He had to injure his knee in that stupid rain game in Chicago. T. Higgins had a concussion early in the game. Chris Godwin and Keenan Allen left the game early with with injury with hamstring injuries. And then George Kittle didn't even make it to week one of the season before getting sidelined. So frustrating. It's a harsh and brutal game that they play, and it's sad and frustrating to watch when you're a fantasy uh, manager. I was going actually toe-to-toe in one matchup with the best team in our league when, when I had T. Higgins, Elijah Mitchell, and Keenan Allen on my, on my, on my roster. Toe-to-toe with those guys. And they all left in the first half of their games, which is really frustrating. I rarely, you know, trade two second-tier players for a top-tier player uh, because I just think that we need depth on our dynasty rosters. I know a lot of players, a lot of dynasty managers will try just to float up their roster with the top of the heaviest players they can, but one injury can really set your team back if you don't have that depth. Um, I'm going to be able to overcome a few of these injuries. Uh, I usually do so because I have depth, but man, that one league where I have Mitchell... Higgins and Allen, if they're gone for many weeks, I'm going to have a hard time, you know, not falling behind in the standings early in the season. I hate injuries, the worst part of fantasy football. Some would argue, though, my last point here, that the worst thing about fantasy football is kickers. (laughs) The only thing some dynasty managers hate more than injuries is kickers. I'm a little different than most dynasty managers. I actually like being in leagues with kickers and without. I like having some of both. I enjoy both types of leagues, really. I only bring up kickers to say this, that it was a hilarious week for kickers, not so much from a fantasy perspective, but just from a reality perspective. If you were watching the early slated games, I love one of my favorite things, parts of the day on a Sunday, is watching the very end of all the early slate games. I love to turn on the Red Zone channel and watch to see all those games play out at once. And this Sunday, it was either a superstar show or a comedy of errors for the kickers in that little little window at the end of the games. The superstars were Cade York, who kicked a 58-yard field goal to win the game for the Browns, and Will Lutz, who kicked a 57-yard field goal to win for the Saints. And then there's the comedy of errors that began when Rodrigo Blankenship missed a game-winning field goal that sent the game to overtime and ultimately ended in a tie. Best of all, however, was the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game where Evan McPherson, McPherson 
uh, missed an extra point with no time on the clock that could have won the game. And so now the game went to overtime. And in overtime, McPherson uh, missed missed another field goal to win in overtime. And then Chris Boswell got his chance to kick the game-winning try, and his hit the upright and went bouncing off of it. But later, Boswell redeemed himself at the end of the game with less than a minute left in overtime and hit a 53-yard game winner. I'll say all that just to say that kicking is part of the game, and games are won or lost or tied because of kickers. And for that reason alone, I enjoy the randomness of kickers. Uh, The NFL sure did on Sunday, and we can sometimes enjoy that in our fantasy leagues. And I know I'm the minority in that opinion, but what a fun week to see all those games come down to the wire. Speaking of wire... One of the things I do on these podcasts every week is I talk about the waiver wire pickups, try to get this out to you early on a Tuesday morning so you can work your waiver wire. As a reminder, I do play in leagues with 300 to 360 players rostered, and so these are the players that are available in leagues like that. So if you're not in a deep league, there's certainly better players, but here I'm talking about true dynasty leagues. Here's the players and the order that I'd seek to pick them up this week. Hope it helps you make some moves. Uh, First would be Jordan Mason. Now, savvy dynasty managers, you know, added Mason before the season started uh, when the 49ers released Trey Sermon, Mason, and made the 53-man roster. That's when a lot of people added him. He was picked up in seven of my nine leagues already, but in the two that he's available, he's going to be the first player that I try to get. Elijah Mitchell, like I already mentioned, has already entered the 49ers. Always seem to find a way to produce, you know, get a productive running back off the trash heap. I'm convinced that Jeff Wilson's going to be the primary back now that Mitchell's out. But Mason could start to get worked into the rotation this week, and Wilson certainly has a history of getting hurt himself. So the few leagues where Jordan Mason is available, he'll be the first player to try to pick up. Next would be Greg Dortch. Uh, Dortch had the most targets and receptions for the Cardinals on Sunday, and I think he can continue uh, to get the same amount of work while DeAndre Hopkins is suspended and Rondell Moore is injured. Uh, the Cardinals have one of the worst defenses in the league and will play you know, from behind many games this season. I'm convinced of that. And Dorch, you know, he bounced around the league on several teams, you know, since coming to the NFL three years ago. But he's a very productive uh, college player at Wake Forest, and he really could carve out a role with the Cardinals that lasts longer than the start of the season. So I like it from a little bit of a dynasty perspective as well. Third player I'd seek to add would be Ben Skoronik. God, hard for me to say. Ben Skoronik. Skoronik played 88% of the snaps on Thursday night for the Rams. Only six fewer snaps than Allen Robertson, if you can believe that. Plus, he had more targets and more receptions than Robinson. He's only 25 years old. And if Allen Robinson turns out to be washed up, Skoranek uh, could become the wide receiver too for the Rams. I don't think that's going to happen, but even if he's just kind of at the back of the roster type of player on my roster, I'd be willing to add him this week just to hold him to see if Robinson is indeed washed up. At the very least, he's going to be a wide receiver three out of very pass-heavy teams, so... I'm interested in Skoranek for sure. Fourth is would be uh, Devin Duvernay. I try uh, not to chase volume, uh, not, not to chase touchdowns rather over the over volume. So I'm unlikely to add Devin Duvernay to my roster this week. But I think other managers are really going to chase that two touchdowns that he scored this week. I'd love to add my fellow Longhorn Hook'em Horns uh, to my team, but I think. Uh, the target tree in Baltimore is a little bit too narrow for DuVernay to get enough targets. You know, he just had those three and caught two of them for touch, three catches and two for touchdowns. Now, if he does it again and catches all three of his targets and two are touchdowns, I may regret not being more aggressive on my bids for him. But I still consider him fourth in my order. I know others will probably have him number one in their rankings. But I like to chase volume 
instead of uh, touchdowns. Speaking of which, that would land me with my number five player, Noah Brown. Uh, late last week, the beat reporters actually said that Brown would start opposite of CeeDee Lamb because Jalen Tolbert didn't do well enough in camp to earn a starting role. And after hearing this news, I actually picked up Brown in several of my deep leagues before the games kicked off on Sunday. But then after watching the game on Sunday, I'm glad I did. Uh, he had nine targets on Sunday and was a clear wide receiver two on the team. If Dak Prescott were healthy, uh, Brown would be my number two player uh, to seek off the waiver wire. But we know that Dak got hurt, and I'm not <laughs> trusting in Cooper Rush to keep this going for Brown. Unfortunately, uh, now I have Brown number five in my waiver wire pickups this week, but he would have been number two if Dak had stayed healthy. Uh, he looked pretty good and has that solid wide receiver two role for Dallas. Number six player I think about adding this week would be O.J. Howard. Howard's first game in Houston turned into a two-catch, two-touchdown day. It's a fluky line for sure, and that performance is maybe not going to be repeated again, but his draft capital in the NFL and in Dynasty uh, rookie drafts for that manager make me really willing to take a stab on him and hold him just again just to see what happens. I may even be ready to drop Brevin Jordan for him. That's his competition to this position, and he actually could be better than Brevin Jordan even though Jordan's a lot younger, it's going to be interesting to see. Houston signed him for a reason. Either they just wanted to kind of get some upside depth on their team, or they are making a statement about why they signed him, about what they think about um, about uh, Jordan. And so it could be that Brevin Jordan is on the outs. Uh, he definitely didn't play as well as Howard in this first game from a fantasy perspective. Next player to think about adding would be number seven here, Dontrell Hilliard. I'm not chasing Hilliard's two-touchdown day, which was impressive. Um, as much as I'm interested in just ro rostering the backup to Derrick Henry. Hassan Haskins did not play on Sunday. It was Hilliard that was behind Henry. Uh, he's a pro. He's been a backup job uh, for much of his career. And I think he's got that locked up in Tennessee. And I never like to leave backup running backs on the waiver wire in Dynasty Leagues. I like to fill my roster instead with a lot of second round, I mean, a backup running back, lots of handcuffed running backs, just because running backs are going to get injured throughout the season. So Hilliard's also a guy that I'd be willing to add. Not so much because he had a great day in those two touchdowns, but because he seems clearly to be the backup to Derrick Henry. And finally, a strange one here, number eight, I think I'd consider Richie James. Uh, for some reason, only maybe the coaches or Daniel Jones know, but James was the most targeted wide receiver on the Giants on Sunday. Crazy. I don't know why, but in Super League leagues, I'd be considering uh, adding James this week. Wondell Robinson got injured this week. Kadaris Tony seems to be in the doghouse. Kenny Galladay's practice reports have been terrible, and he only got the two catches on Sunday. It's crazy. Uh, Richie James was the most targeted wide receiver uh, for the Giants. Maybe the Giants know that they don't have what they need, and perhaps Sterling Shepard and Richie James are the best that they've got. So in deep leagues, Richie James is also someone I'd consider adding. And normally at this time, what I do on these podcasts is talk about trades, the trades that actually happen in my leagues, just to give you a comparison of what kind of trades went down. But it's early. It's week one. And in week one, there weren't any trades that took place, which is good. Uh, so I'm not going to report on any because none of them took place. But this first week, there were a lot more guys than I normally talk about on the waiver wire. That's how it seems to go in week one. Less trades, but also more players to consider for the waiver wire. Hope that helped you guys. It's fun just to reflect back on the week, make some overall observations, give you some tips to help you with your waiver wire as you get working on that today or Wednesday, whichever day is your waiver wire uh, processes. Anyway, hope that's been helpful. It's fun to see things get started. Can't wait. 
the season's going to be awesome. I'm going to keep reporting like this every single week with my observations and the waiver wire tips as well as trades that took place in my league so you can consider some player value in your leagues as well. That's a wrap this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime. About to contact me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. Much better on email than Twitter, so email me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast. That would mean a lot to me as an independent podcaster. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. 